Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 62, beginning at verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. Thank you, Gordon. Well, the wait goes on. How are you doing at waiting? Are you still waiting? Uh, And I'm not talking about the wait for uh, the return of normal life. As good as that will be after COVID, we Christians have something far bigger and better that we're waiting for. We're waiting for a completely new life. The life in the heavenly Jerusalem that we saw way back in chapter 60, if you remember. We're waiting for the Messiah, whose first coming 2,000 years ago, we've just celebrated at Christmas whose restoration work began then and goes on today, and we're waiting for him to come and finish the job off. How are you doing at waiting for him, the second coming? You know, it's one of the key marks of true Christian faith, waiting, waiting for Christ's return. But it's not easy to keep waiting, is it? 
I mean, I think we've all understood that recently as we've waited for COVID to be over, haven't we? The agony of waiting. Hard to keep going. I read an article in the Rolling Stone about the exhaustion that we're all experiencing waiting. And do you know when it was written? At the end of March, 2020. So hard to keep waiting. It requires resolve. So as Isaiah finishes off his climactic vision in these central chapters of the final part of his prophecy, he urges us once more to strengthen our resolve for the wait, the wait for God to keep his promise to come and marry us. Do you remember how Isaiah 61 finished with the the joy of Christ's restoration work being compared to a a bride and groom getting ready for their wedding day on on the morning of their wedding day? Well, in today's passage, God promises that he's gonna finish that work off. He's gonna come and the marriage is gonna take place. Did you see it? Isaiah is addressing Zion here. Zion's just another name for Jerusalem, Israel's capital city. A city, of course, that stands for the whole people of God. And Isaiah makes the breathtaking promise to Zion in verse 5. Did you see it? Verse 5, as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so will your God rejoice over you. Now, actually, that might not sound so much breathtaking as just bizarre. I mean, God marrying a city, God marrying his people. Well, if you find that a bit odd, the image is actually explained a bit later in the passage. Look at verses 8 to 9 with me. You see, God's marriage promise, it's, it's a picture of his promise to protect and provide for his people like a husband. So verse 8, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. But, verse 9, those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. It's a picture of permanent Powerful protection and provision. It's also a picture of us praising him and living in his presence. Did you see that? Those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. God's people feasting in his presence In the heart of the temple courts here, forever and ever, praising him, delighting in his protection and provision of them. It's a picture of restored relationship with God. A picture of restored relationship in paradise. A permanent new marital home, if you like. Well, it's quite a promise. But still, it's hard to wait If you read the surrounding chapters of Isaiah, you'll you'll find a couple of related ways in which God's people were struggling to keep waiting. The first was giving in to insecurity, thinking that maybe God 
won't keep his promises to us. Maybe he's forgotten us. Of course, the second uh, temptation that stops people waiting is forgetting him, being unfaithful to him, and running off with idols, false gods. Keep waiting for God to keep his marriage promise. That's the big point of Isaiah's passage today. Keep waiting for God to keep his marriage promise. The promise of marriage is illustrated throughout the passage uh, in verse 4, and actually at the end of the passage, verse 12, with the idea of a new name for God's people. It can be a bit of a deal breaker uh, when people are thinking about getting married, can't it? What's the new name I'm going to have to take? Uh, My wife, Amy, is from West Yorkshire, and in parts of West Yorkshire, my surname, Mullock, means big mistake. Fortunately, she didn't take that as an omen. She's not superstitious. Uh, Married me anyway. But it was a bit of a sacrifice to have to be married to a mullock. When all the time she'd hear people telling her, you've made a right mullock of that. Well, there's no sense of sacrifice in the name change for Jerusalem. Did you see her name change? Verse 4. No longer will you be called deserted. No longer will they name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah. Hepzibah means my delight is in her. And your land, Baalah, which means having a husband or a master. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. You see, God wants us to know that he wants us that he delights in us. But perhaps that's where the insecurity kicks in for you. I know it does for me. How can God delight in me? I mean, if you knew the things that I've done, the things that have been done to me, I'm damaged goods. Can God really delight in me? Well, the citizens of Jerusalem might have felt a very similar insecurity. You see, the exile to Babylon that we've been hearing about was like a messy divorce. God compares it to that in chapter 50. The citizens of Jerusalem had proved unfaithful to God and so been deserted by him because they deserted him. They'd been desolated by the exile and the cruelties that they'd suffered in Babylon. Could God really want to remarry a city so desolate and deserted? So damaged? Well, God has a plan to combat that kind of insecurity. Did you see it in the passage? It's really interesting. It frames the marriage promises in verse 1 and verse 6. Did you see it? God keeps repeatedly publishing his bans of marriage to his people until they get it. Until they get that he's really serious. He means these promises. Verse 1, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. This I, it might be Isaiah speaking on God's behalf as his messenger. 
Uh, but whoever it is, they won't shut up about God's promises. The day when, middle of verse 1, when Jerusalem's salvation will be complete. Isaiah will repeat God's promise as long as he has breath to help us believe and battle insecurity. God has not forgotten us. But notice it's not just Isaiah in verse 1 who won't shut up about these promises. Verse 6, God has sent others too. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. Day and night, God wants his promises to ring in our ears, to help us know that he loves us. He hasn't forgotten us. He's still preparing for the big day. Won't you? Watchmen in Isaiah, they symbolize the leaders and teachers of God's people. A reference for, if you want to look it up, Isaiah 56, 10 to 12. And of course, there are two famous New Testament examples of leaders and teachers of the church seeing their job in this way. John the Baptist, who saw himself as a, a best man, preparing Israel for the first coming of Christ when he came to propose. Or the Apostle Paul betrothing the church in Corinth to Christ, urging them to stay faithful until the day of their marriage. It's such a beautiful picture of my job. It gets me really excited about the thought of preaching to you, of never shutting up, but standing on your walls day and night, proclaiming the promises of God to you. Don't worry, I won't be waking you up in the middle of the night to do that. But every Sunday... It's my job to persuade you, our job as leaders and teachers, that God loves you. That he's coming back for you. That he wants you for his own forever. My first week at Christchurch, there were marriage bands uh, being read in church. But you know, Actually, there are marriage bands being read in church every Sunday when the gospel is preached. The bands of marriage between the Lord Jesus Christ and you, his church. Isn't that amazing? Is that how you think about what's happening here on Sundays? Because that is what's happening. Or perhaps has insecurity so colored your hearing of the preaching of the gospel, that you miss God's weekly declaration of love to you. Don't miss it. There's a beautiful twist in the passage as Isaiah moves on. He shows us actually that it's not just God who's not shutting up about these promises, but we're not to shut up about them either. Did you see that in verse 6? Middle of verse 6, you who call on the Lord, that, that is you who pray, Give yourselves no rest. That is, you keep praying. And give him no rest. That is, you keep praying. Till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. You see, just as God won't shut up about his promise to marry us, so we mustn't shut up to him, asking him to keep that promise. Now, we don't have time to go into all the ins and outs of prayer in a, a short sermon like this, but notice that prayer is asking God to do what he himself has already promised to do. We're not having to twist his arm like the fiancé who's still not been given 
a, a marriage date by their cruel fiance. No, God knows the date, even if we don't. It's set in stone. We're asking him to do what he's promised. And notice again about prayer that above all, prayer is something we should want to do. Why wouldn't we pray if what we're asking for is so good as this? Or maybe we don't want to pray because we're not waiting for this anymore. Well, it's that time of year again, isn't it? New Year's resolutions. Um, You know the stats on keeping New Year's resolutions? They're shocking, aren't they? There's a health and fitness app uh, which has millions of subscribers, and they worked out that uh, the day most people are likely to give up on their resolutions is the 12th of January. Nine days from now. (laughs) Maybe at the beginning of this year as a Christian, you've taken the resolution to get back into Bible reading and praying this year. Good on you if you've resolved to do that. But can I say that you're not going to keep going unless you do this. Unless you see your Bible reading and your prayer as an expression of your relationship, your engagement to the God who loves you. One of my favorite poems um, from World War II was written by a man called Simonov, who took part in the Battle of Berlin. And he wrote from the front to his love, who he'd left behind. He wrote this, wait for me and I'll come back. Wait with all your might. Wait when dreary autumn rains tell you nothing's right. Wait when those that wait with you are bored and tired and glum. And when it seems from far away no letters ever come, wait for me and I'll come back. Wait in patience yet. Even if a thousand times they've said you should forget. I imagine when Simonov's uh, girlfriend felt like giving up, waiting for him, she took that poem out, read it, re-read it, re-re-re-read it, over and over and over again. Please don't get bored of reading the promises of God in the Bible. Don't you see what they are? His promises to come back to you and to restore you to perfect relationship. In paradise, why would you get bored of hearing about those? Waiting. One of the key marks of true Christian faith. Waiting for Christ's return. But you know, it's really interesting. As I've taught that over the years, lots of people have said to me that they don't like that idea. They think it just sounds a bit too passive. I mean, aren't we as Christians meant to actually live for God today, to actually get on with doing things? Have you ever heard that criticism, that some Christians are too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good? Now, actually, I've got a bit of sympathy with that criticism. Uh, We're not just meant to stare into the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. 
And yet, it's waiting that will energize our work for Christ, isn't it? The fiancé, he's no longer waiting for their big day. is hardly going to be able to find energy for all the work that needs to be done for the big day. The invites that need to be sent out. The outfits that need to be made. The party that needs to be prepared. Only if the bride and groom are still waiting for each other will they give themselves to the work of preparing for that day. There is work in this passage. Did you see it? In verse 10... A flurry of commands just at the end of the passage. Verse 10, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones. The picture here is of the Israelites in exile in Babylon being called to come home to Jerusalem to get ready for their marriage to God. And you might know that the road from Babylon all the way over where modern-day Iraq is that road all the way back to Israel would have been dangerous and difficult. But God here commands his people to help each other, uh, to remove the stones that get in each other's way, to build the road, to provide easier passage for each other. You know, it's not just your leaders and teachers who are meant to help you press on to the coming day of God's promises. We're all meant to help each other. Keep pressing on. Notice though, it's not even just Israelites helping Israelites. Did you see end of verse 10? In six words, the great work of global mission described. Raise a banner for the nations. This banner, it's the kind of banner you'd use in a battle to rally your troops, to gather them together around the battle. Israel, as they press on home to the day of their marriage with God in a heavenly Jerusalem, are to call all nations to become part of the bride. What a beautiful picture of mission. Amy and I are loving, living in forward. What a great place to settle for a few years. And thanks to all of you who've helped us do that in different ways. The beauty here, the comfort, the wealth of the place. What a great place to raise a family and enjoy marriage together. But isn't it interesting how quickly even those good, God-given gifts could become idols for us? that stop us wanting to press on home to our true marriage. So please, please would you keep telling us resolutely, week in, week out, as I will you, that life in Sheffield is not a patch on the promises of God for our future. And of course, the more we all believe that together, the more we live it out then the more chance we have of finding energy to read our Bibles, to keep praying, to keep raising a banner for the nations so that many, many people might come with us to be part of that great wedding. Amen.